This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When someone goes missing, there are only so many possible outcomes. Usually the family will cling on to the hope that all will be well. And with no body being recovered, it's understandable that they'll keep hope alive. But in this episode, we tell the story of Terry McSpadden a young man for whom his family and the police tragically believe has been killed. I have had the feeling ever since that there's just something wrong that I wasn't going to see Derry again. I don't know how or why, I just knew in my, in my heart of hearts that he wasn't coming back. I've got pictures of Terry on my fridge, I talk to him every day, but it's just... I don't know. He's never going to answer my questions. He's never going to say, I love you, Mum, again. And it just is, it's like a mental torture. It's a case where the exact circumstances are far from clear and where just one tiny piece of information could throw the whole investigation wide open. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. This is The Missing, Terry McSpadden.
The year is 2007. 24-year-old Terry McSpadden will most likely be found propping up the bar of the locomotive pub in his hometown of Wisbeach. Wisbeach is a quiet town in rural Fenland, well away from the hustle and bustle of city life. A place where the local pub is a focal point and a night out often involves the same groups of people moving around the town. He liked to go out. He drank, probably more than he should have done most times. Oh, he was always up to mischief. He, he got himself into bother a couple of times, but there was no real malice in Terry. He wasn't violent, he wasn't nasty. He, he, he went out and he enjoyed himself and he just sometimes probably went a bit too far. Terry worked locally at a company called Economy Windows. He had a good work ethic, sometimes working weekends to make extra cash to help support his two young children, a little boy and girl, aged two and four. He worked hard, but he also played hard, and he lived for the weekends. On this occasion, the weekend had come early. Terry had recently been convicted of a minor incident, and his punishment was a ban on being in the town on Friday and Saturday nights. So it was a Thursday night, the 1st of March 2007, that Terry had decided to enjoy a few pints and play some darts with friends until the last orders bell rang just before 11pm. It was an uneventful evening, with, as far as anyone knows, no mischief to be had. Terry left the pub shortly after 11pm. There's some CCTV footage of him at Tesco supermarket in the town where he's seen withdrawing some money from the cash machine at just after 1am. That is the actual last Satan of Terry. From there, he headed back to Elm, a small village just two miles away, where he was currently staying with a friend. That CCTV image is the last confirmed sighting of Terry for 14 years. Where he went next and what happened to him has been the focus of his mother's life ever since. Terry's mum, Helen, remembers him as a happy-go-lucky lad. He was caring. He was funny. There could be a pain in the bum as well, but who's not? Quite often on a Sunday morning, he'd make me a cup of coffee and come and lay on the bed and he, he would tell me about some of the antics. And I said, oh, God, do I really have to listen to this? He said, yeah. <laughs> he told me some things that a mother should never really hear. Sir Helen is pretty sure that she had the inside track on Terry's life. And it's true that Terry had been having a bit of a turbulent time, all centering around his relationship with his girlfriend, Becky. The two of them were young, but while the relationship was precarious, they were besotted with their children. He loved his two children. His little girl was his absolute angel. He absolutely worshipped her. I mean, they, he used to bring her over here on weekends, take her out for walks down on the beach and play and, and, do, and do things that dads do. He just loved her. He, he was a really good dad. Terry and Becky were on the rocks and had been for some time. Terry had moved out of the family home, then back in again then out again, as the couple tried to make things work. The relationship was the main source of drama in Terry's life. 
I mean, him and Becky had such a up and down relationship. They loved to hate each other, as how I always put their their relationship. But I think maybe it would have worked out in the end. Who knows? Over the festive period in 2006, in the middle of another spat, Terry spent the day at his mum's. He came over for Christmas because him and Becky had, yet again, fallen out. So, yeah, we just had a lovely Christmas day, lovely boxing day. But amongst the turkeys and crackers, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Terry never showed any signs of anything being wrong. And usually he'd tell us things. Um, but there was, there was nothing to indicate that he was going to disappear or he was going to leave or anything along them lines. If anything, things perked up as Terry moved back into the family home. But it wasn't long before he and Becky were at war again. I think he was there for about a month and then they fell out again and that is when he went to live at Jonathan Porter's. Terry had been mates with Jonathan for years and Jonathan let Terry crash at his house whenever things between him and Becky turned sour. He lived in Elm, close to Wisbeach, and it was a situation that suited Terry well. He knew Jonathan Porter from school, so I think Jonathan Porter said to Terry, like, you can come and stay at mine because he lived on his own. He'd stayed there before for a little while. It wasn't far from where he worked. It wasn't far from... His children, he was somebody to drive him about as well. So Terry didn't drive, he, he rode a bike everywhere. So if they went to nightclubs and things, he'd always got a lift home. They just seemed like an odd couple, even to be going out to the, the same places together. I just thought it would be a, a temporary arrangement um, and that Terry would sort himself out and get his own place. But Terry and Jonathan's relationship as flatmates hadn't always gone smoothly. Helen remembers one particular story that Terry told her. It can't be verified, but it made Helen think twice. He was in this nightclub with a girl and Jonathan Porter walked into the nightclub. When Terry came home, he said, I don't know how he knew I was there. He said he must have followed me. And I do know that Terry changed his PIN number on his phone because apparently Jonathan Porter looked into his phone when Terry left it laying about. But yeah, Terry was a bit freaked out with him sometimes. It's hard to know for sure exactly what happened. And it's a story that Helen heard secondhand. And if it did happen, was it purely a coincidence? A practical joke gone wrong? or something a touch more sinister. It's hard to know. But there's one strange event that Helen remembers Terry telling her about, which is hard to fathom. Apparently, Terry had he'd probably had a couple of beers and laid on the couch and he'd, he'd fell asleep. And he woke up because he, he could feel himself suffocate. He, could, he couldn't breathe. 
and he woke up and he, he was cling filmed up on on this settee. I don't know how they cocooned him in it. Suddenly Jonathan appeared and cut Terry out of it. Terry thinks that he was drugged. He thinks that he was injected with something, but he didn't report it to the police, which in hindsight was a stupid thing not to have done. Whatever reason he didn't, whether it was because he he, he was too scared or whatever, well, we'll never know. Yeah, it just seems strange that how did anybody get that near? Terry was absolutely terrified. He was also baffled. Who had wrapped him up in cling film? Why would anyone do that? And how had they got into Jonathan's house? There didn't seem to be any motive for Jonathan to be involved, and it's important to note that there is no proof that he was. Terry didn't go to the police about the incident, and by March, him and Jonathan had clearly put any differences they had behind them. And on the night Terry disappeared, it was Jonathan, as well as Jonathan's dad and another mate, who were all happily drinking and playing darts together at the pub. Jonathan is also captured standing next to Terry as he withdraws money at the Tesco cash point, before the pair saunter out of the frame. Eight hours later, Terry's boss at Economy Windows called Terry's aunt and said that Terry hadn't turned up for work. Where was he? My sister phoned me. She rang me and said, um, Helen, nobody's seen Terry for a couple of days. Is he at yours? I said, no, I haven't seen him. I said, I haven't heard from him, funnily enough. And she said, well, nobody seems to know where he is. And I jumped in the car straight away. I went over to his beach. I went around some of his friends, asked had he been staying there. No, no, nobody had seen him. The fair was in town at the time, so I even went around the fair and asked him had anybody seen him, you know, but no, nobody on the fairground had seen him. Um, So after a a few hours of going to his friends and all around the town and to the pubs and nobody had seen him in a pub over the weekend, nobody had heard from him, I went to the police station to report him missing. It really, it really started to hit home then, that there was something, there was something big going on. And of course, as his flatmate, friend, and the last person to have potentially seen him, Jonathan was quickly spoken to by police. He said that on that night, after they'd been to the pub, he and Terry returned home. Jonathan locked the door and went up to bed taking his keys with him. He said he remembered Terry leaving for work at around 7.10 that morning and that he later discovered that there was some money and jewellery missing from his belongings, which he assumed Terry had taken. So could Terry have disappeared of his own accord? Had the strain between Becky and him got too much and he decided to leave? Helen was adamant this couldn't be the case. He had no reason to disappear. He he just didn't have any reason. I know he wouldn't have gone without saying goodbye to us anyway, especially to the children and to me. He would have either phoned me or come and see me or something. He wouldn't have just he wouldn't have just gone. 
he would have got drunk one night and rang me, said something where he was or what he was doing or, or whatever. But we, we never got the call. He wasn't a loner. He had to have people around him. He was the sort of kid that would go to bed, even as an adult, and leave the telly on until he fell asleep. You know, he just, he wouldn't, he wouldn't go. I know he wouldn't. Police were called to investigate the disappearance. But as is often the case, their involvement at the beginning was limited. Terry was an adult, after all, with no history of running away. The first two policemen that were on this case, really, I just think they thought, oh, it's a lad, he's, he, can, he can look after himself. Which not all lads can look after themselves. They put a helicopter up to look to see if he'd been knocked off his bike. But the helicopter didn't find anything. There was no sign of Terry. And so Helen and her friends decided to take it upon themselves to search. We had some missing people pictures done for Terry and handed them all out round the town and put pictures up everywhere. But all that effort came to nothing. Didn't even get one response. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The police investigation into where Terry might have gone ramped up in the days and weeks after he disappeared. And they discovered certain things which stood out as significant. They paid some attention to the events that had seen Terry get a conviction for a drink-related incident. One night, him and some friends 
they were a bit rowdy and the police were called. It was actually nothing to do with Terry to start with, but Terry being Terry, no, they're my mates, I'm going to stay with them. So he got arrested as well and he ended up in court and he ended up with a, a tag on. Terry's punishment was a curfew. From 7pm on Friday night to 7am on Sunday morning, he had to be at his home address. The theory being that such a punishment would prevent him from drinking too much and causing trouble on the busy Friday and Saturday nights. To enforce the punishment, Terry's leg had been fitted with an electronic tag, the kind of tag that would tell authorities if he broke that curfew. I was angry with it, annoyed with him for being stupid, but... He was 23, uh, he was still um, still a really big kid, I suppose. The police had spoken to the security company, Serco, which operated the tag, but according to their records, the tag showed Terry to be at the property it was registered to, his friend Jonathan's address, until 8.43am on the Friday morning, much later than the 7.10am that he was supposed to have left the house. That tag was still pinging at 8.49 or something like that. So Terry had to be there, and apparently you cannot tamper with a tag without them knowing about it. The electronic tag placed Terry at his home until nearly 9am. And then he was gone. But could the tag reveal where Terry had gone next? I, I did ring Serco up and ask him. They said that that tag had never been tampered with, it had never been removed, it had never been cut off. Could they not trace the tag? But apparently it doesn't work by satellite, it only works by the box in that room. So police couldn't rely on the electronic tag to lead them to wherever Terry was. They needed other clues. Police tried to get an insight into Terry's mindset on that Friday some clues about what he might have been thinking or doing in the hours leading up to and possibly after his disappearance. They managed to get remote access to Terry's phone and discovered some text messages which seemed to have been sent on Friday the 2nd of March, the morning after the last known sighting of Terry on the Tesco CCTV cameras. His phone was used that morning to text Ian, who he worked for, to say, um, sorry Ian, not coming in today, not coming back. And when Ian tried to ring him back straight away, the phone had been turned off. And then apparently he sent Becky one, saying, tell the kids I love them, I'm not coming back. It's all your fault, you bitch. The text messages sound definite and certainly full of emotion, but Helen is sceptical that they were written by her son could understand him probably saying he wasn't going into work, but not that he wouldn't be going back because he, he enjoyed his job. And the one to, to Becky, he would have gone round and seen the kids and said goodbye. He wouldn't have done it in a text message. Several weeks into the investigation, a new lead came into Wisbeach Police Station. Officers received information from a witness who said they'd seen a lady sitting in a Ford Mandeo estate next to the house Terry was staying in. The witness claimed that they saw Terry sitting next to the woman and that he was wearing a baseball cap. They also said they'd seen this on the Friday, the day after the last CCTV sighting of Terry. 
it was a case of, oh, he's just gone off with some girl then. There was no way that Terry would go off and with somebody else and their children and leave his. There was, you know, he was, he was a dedicated dad. He loved these children. That sighting was assessed. Police looked into whether they could identify the woman seen with Terry, but they drew a blank. Perhaps the sighting was significant, or perhaps not. Either way, the leads ran out. No one else came forward. The investigation stagnated, and Helen, Becky, the children and Terry's family couldn't do anything but wait. We never got any help. We never got any real information. It was just also. Matter of fact, you know, he's gone out, he's not coming back. That was until 2011, when Terry's case was unexpectedly reinvestigated by the cold case team. British police will never close an investigation. Instead, when all leads have been exhausted, it'll be turned into an inactive investigation, one that will be reviewed every few years and opened up should any new information come to light. And it was in one of those reviews, using a fresh pair of eyes to examine the evidence, that the case got a new lease of life. And new lines of inquiry began emerging from all directions, as well as previous theories ruled out. One of the first things the cold case achieved was to rule out the car and the woman who'd been spotted by a witness on the 2nd of March. A detective went to visit her. He found this car, the girl, and everything else. It took him a few hours. And he went and spoke to her and she said, no, that wasn't Terry. She said, that was my brother. He was sitting in the front seat with a baseball cap on. They just assumed that it was, was Terry. But the biggest bombshell was yet to come. In November 2011, Jonathan was officially declared a suspect. And upon questioning, Jonathan's version of events from the night Terry disappeared completely changed. And his new account was all based around a different story. Back in 2007, Jonathan had been due in court, accused of hitting his girlfriend's young daughter. In Jonathan's new statement to the police, he claimed that it was actually Terry who had hit the little girl. And, after the pair had been to the cash point at 1am on that Thursday night, he'd taken Terry to Wisbeach Police Station to confess. And while there is no record of Jonathan and Terry going into the police station that night, there was CCTV, and a witness did see a van, which could potentially place them both there, outside Wisbeach Police Station. There was a white van parked near the police station. They see a bit of it on a camera, but not all of it, so that they don't know that it was actually the vehicle that they were in. Jonathan said that that was why Terry had disappeared. He told people that's why Terry disappeared, because Terry had done this. He'd hit this little girl and her. That's why Terry had gone. But Helen believes none of that story. There was no way in this world that Terry would hurt a child. No way. So with Jonathan's story changing from the one he'd given in 2007, police decided he was a suspect. And Jonathan was officially arrested in 2012. 
Terry's case was escalated to an active murder investigation and police carried out a major search of the countryside around the area of Terry's last known movements, including the garden of the house that they had lived in together. I didn't go to Wisbeach when, when this was happening. I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to go. But seeing the people in the forensic suits, it's just horrendous. After extensive searches, still nothing was found. And yeah, I w- some some ways, yes, I would have liked him to find something to give us some peace, because I don't think it. People say closure, but I don't think it ever gives you any closure because it's always going to be, it's always going to be there, and it's always going to follow you wherever you go and whatever you do. It's always, it's always there with you, and I'm sure even. If they do find Terry, or Terry's body, that it's still gonna be, it's still gonna haunt me for the rest of my life. It will still haunt me. What happened to him? How it happened? Why wasn't I there to save him? And it just is, it's like a mental torture. Police felt like they had enough to charge Jonathan with Terry's murder. He was the last person to see Terry on the Thursday night at the cash point, and his account had changed over Terry's movements. But when the case reached a court in 2013, a judge dismissed it, citing insufficient evidence. I know he was arrested on suspicion of murdering Terry. He did spend um, a Christmas and a little bit longer on remand in prison, but the judge found it an unsafe case. Yeah, I was angry, disappointed, felt let down. Just, uh, it's, it's a mixture of so many emotions. It's just, when you've worked yourself up to going to be in that courtroom, and then for a judge to write you letter saying, sorry, we're not going to do it now. It was just, it was anger. You know, I could have just gone and stood in the middle of the field and screamed my head off. You just get so near to getting something and then it's snatched away from you. So there was insufficient evidence that Jonathan was responsible. Without a body, a judge felt the prosecution wouldn't be able to prove any case against him. After all, it was still possible that Terry had decided to take himself somewhere else, to start a new life somewhere, or perhaps he'd simply had an accident on his way to work the following morning. These suggestions may sound unlikely, but in the absence of proof, they were at least possible. Helen is clear in her own mind what happened. Obviously, the the laws of the law, you have to go by that. I just wish he'd tell me where Terry was. That's all I want, is to know where Terry is. It's it's so hard. <sighs> In 2016, an inquest was held into Terry's disappearance, a formal procedure that can happen when a death is suspicious or unexplained. The police stated that no evidence of life had been seen for Terry McSpadden since 1am on the 2nd of March 2007. 
the coroner recorded an open verdict, but added that the probability is that Harry died on, or shortly after, March 2, 2007. As a part of the inquest, Jonathan was called for questioning, but he chose not to make a comment or to answer any questions. Instead, a statement from Jonathan was read out by the Norfolk coroner, saying that he'd been playing darts with Terry the night before he disappeared and then went to Tesco supermarket in Wisbeach with him. But he declined, on legal advice, to say whether it was his signature on the statement and whether the contents of it were true. Jonathan was asked by the coroner what he knew of Terry's disappearance. Again, on legal advice, Jonathan declined to answer. I'm a lot luckier than some people. I always feel quite privileged, actually, to have my grandchildren and to have them living with me. But Terry's missed out on so much with his children, like first days at school, sports days. Last year when Casey was um, 16, her school prom to see her in, in her dress, you know, he would have been so proud. Cases like Terry's need to be kept in the public eye. They need to be talked about, thought about, in the hope that one day they'll be resolved. Yeah, I'll read some of the cases that come up on the missing people and it, it just breaks your heart. It really does just break your heart to read some of them and you think, you know, they're in the same situation and there's nothing you can do or say that will make them feel any better or that will help them because the, I think the only thing that might help eventually is if we find out what happened to Terry and where he is because I, I do know my heart hearts that he's not coming back. As always, this is where you come in. If you have any information which is relevant and useful to this case, please get in touch. Maybe somebody will come forward, you know, maybe friends change, uh, alliances change, so maybe somebody out there has now got children and looking at them and thinking, I should do the right thing, I should say, if, I know, if they know something, they should come forward and say. We've put the details of this case on our website themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.
This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hulu.